The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Hope you had a great week and big weekend coming up, 4th of July, and there's some outstanding racing. Uh, we are going to head over to New York where they just have an unbelievable card on Saturday. Uh, the Dwyer, the Belmont Derby, the Suburban, the Belmont Oaks, and who better to have with us but a face you're familiar with, Andy Serling from Naira will be joining us. But before that, I stumbled upon an interesting website called performancegenetics.com, and it was kind of like going back to, uh, to a science uh, class. But uh, with us is going to be a native Australia, Byron Rogers, who spent eight years at Arrowfield Stud as the uh, Stallion nominations and bloodstock manager. If you don't know anything about uh, down under Arrowfield, a very prestigious farm, and uh, he helped develop the career of the leading sire, Redute's Choice, who is like the northern dancer uh, of Australia. But uh, Byron's also the co-creator of True Nicks, a thoroughbred nicking service. And then in 2011, he launched Performance Genetics, LLC, and... uh, it's going to be very interesting talking to him, uh, DNA and how it plays into uh, the thoroughbred breed. So before we get to that, let's get to the top of the show, take a look at uh, some of the nice wins. Uh, we're happy to put the radio show on, but I sure hope you dial into winningponies.com, pull down your easy win forms, another unbelievable week. How about this? We must have had the only ticket at Pleasanton. A fifty cent pick six, ninety four thousand three hundred and eighty, and it wasn't a bad week in other parts of the country. At Delaware Park, we had a one dollar pick five that paid seven thousand four ninety eight. In the middle of upstate New York, Finger Lakes, a one dollar pick four four thousand seven hundred twenty seven dollars, and uh, Woodbine will be the running the Queen's Plate this week. A one dollar super returned three thousand. 826. So come on, winningponies.com. There's a lot of good stuff up there, including the easy win form. So anyhow, just to get you excited about this weekend, it really uh, kicks off. A lot of people are going to be off work on Friday. Uh, so from Finger Lakes, you have the New York Oaks and the New York Derby, not to be con- confused with the Belmont Oaks and the Belmont Derby. These will be New York breads. And the grade three Molly Pitcher will be run down at Monmouth Park. Then Saturday, just all over the place, uh, I told you about all the great races at, at Belmont Park, uh, but uh, you've also got those uh, Louisiana legends. Uh, if you like to have uh, 
races that horses had compared to each other and raced with each other against each other. It's Louisiana Legends Day at Evangeline. I should say evening, actually. And then also in the evening, the Grade 2 Los Alamitos Derby will be run. Kentucky and the one to watch right there out of the Jerry Hollendorfer barn. And since it's a holiday weekend, on July 5th, uh, you've got from Gulfstream Park quite a few graded stakes races. The Azalea, the Carryback, Princess Rooney, the Smile Sprint Handicap. Mammoth has two graded races, the United Nations and the Salvatore Mile. And, uh, of course, Woodbine is going to have a great, great card highlighted by the Queen's Plate, one of the oldest races in North America. All right, just got this one off the wire. It's official, American Pharaoh will run in the Haskell Invitational. Amazayat confirmed that that is where they're going. He made the announcement through ESPN.com. And Baffert says he's very pleased the way American Pharaoh has trained since returning to California, and he favors the decision. Now, uh, this week, American Pharaoh finally got back to work. He's on the comeback trail. Uh, under uh, jockey Martin Garcia, he worked three furlongs in 36 and two, according to the official clocker. And uh, Baffert uh, was uh, very happy and pleased with the work. He actually coached uh, Martin uh, with a walkie-talkie, saying, "Hey, I don't want to go too slow. Come on, come on!" And through the stretch, Garcia sat quietly on American Pharaoh. Baffert timed him, going out a half mile in 49 seconds, and then. Uh, told Martin to let him go out a bit as he crossed the finish line. So the Pharaoh ran the first furlong in 12.40 and the last quarter in 24 seconds. Uh, Baffert got him in a slightly quicker 35 and 4. So uh, the Triple Crown champion, he's been there at Santa Anita since June 18th, and we now know next stop, New Jersey. No surprise here, the NTRA top thoroughbred pole on top, American Pharaoh. Second, shared belief. Third, honor code. Fourth, California Chrome. And fifth, main sequence. Now, uh, California Chrome coming home, and uh, looks like uh, he will be back with Art Sherman, who's very eager to get him back in the United States He's going to fly to Chicago, where he's going to undergo the quarantine. Looks like they're pointing to the Arlington Million. Uh, they do say he probably is now going to race in a bar shoe, uh, but uh, Sherman will make that decision later. He says, i got to have my blacksmith look at the foot when I get him home. I wish I could see him. It's not like he can be there and pinpoint everything. So he's pointing to the Arlington Million. Well, it was a close one down at Churchill as Corey Lannery picked the final race to best his rival, Mr. Le Paru, in the last race of the meet. Lannery finished with 40 wins. That marked the eighth time that he'd been the leading rider from the last nine Churchill meets. Uh, Julian was a nine-time Churchill titleist. Uh, had won the 10th of 11 races on Saturday card, who pulled in with 39-39 to 39 tie, but got it done in the last race. And no surprise here, the Ken and Sarah Ramsey barn, headed up by Mike Maker, with 17 wins, were easily the leading owners at the Churchill meet. 
Well, uh, if you follow other racing across the pond, Jack Hobbs dominated the Irish Derby, which is now a $1.2 million race, and that gave trainer John Godson his third classic win of the month. Uh, he had already won the $2.2 million English Derby at Epsom Downs with Golden Horn, and then he won the $1.1 million French Oaks at Chantilly with Star of Seville. So Jack Hobbs was sent away the favorite and had the luck of the Irish, got the Irish Derby done. Here's some good news. Wise Dan has been cleared to resume full training, and uh, this is exciting. Now, he's eight years old now. Uh, he's been going on an every-other-day jogging schedule and galloping at Keeneland uh, since uh, they gave Lepresti the green light. So uh, he's been X-rayed. He looks good. Uh, he's not sure if he's going to go to Saratoga or wait until the fall. He's got options open, but that would just be so fantastic. Uh, the options are the four-star Dave, the Bernard Baruch, the Woodbine Mile. He says he's a lot fitter than people think, so uh, he might make a Saratoga race, but just might just wait and head to Woodbine. Okay, good here, Wise Dan's going to be back. Okay, so much good racing. Let's try to, uh, to cap it off for you. Uh, we were lucky enough to have uh, Brad Free with us to do the West Coast races last week. And out at Santa Anita, he nailed this one. Masochistic, Brad Free, even money favorite, won three-fifths off the track record in the grade one triple bend. It looks like the Kona Gold did play a key in the outcome of that race. Second, 12 to 1 was Appealing Tail. And third was Wild Dude. Then at Santa Anita, it was the grassy Royal Heroin Stakes. And uh, in this one, it was Fanta Cola who chased the pace and held on late. Running second in that was a solid rally by Queen of the Sand. Third was Storming Lucy. And then in the Gold Cup, the big end, grade one, half a million dollars up for grabs. Victor Espinoza got the job done with hard aces, a bit of a long shot, paid $17.80. Uh, this was a win in your end, but uh, unless American Pharaoh takes a bad step, he won't be riding hard aces uh, at Keeneland in the Breeders' Cup Classic. You see a beautiful ride. He, he slipped through uh, along the rail and uh, uh, nailed Hop Opportunity, who put in a very game effort after being wide third was catch a flight and then uh, remember we went out to uh to prairie meadows with uh, mary rampolini and uh there's some good races out there and hey i loved it man my friend julio felix got the job done with saracis from flag fall to that's all rated her speed and held on to get the job done in the grade three iowa oaks uh, second was uh, Pangburn, Kenny McPeak's horse. Pretty much gave out the exact in that one. Third was Sweetgrass. So uh, feeling good and looking good out there. And congratulations again to Julio Felix, a guy that's really ratcheted up his game. Uh, then also at Prairie Meadows, it was the grade three Iowa Derby. The winner in there, bent on bourbon, Eddie Kennelly, trains a solid win, went off at four to one. Then at Prairie Meadows, it was the Cornhusker handicap. Golden Lad runs down the speed of Ecleto Red, who was a 31-to-1 shot, 
and got the job done. Two wins on the card for Javier Castellano. Then we had some huge races, a big closing night at Churchill Downs. Uh, the Bashford Manor went to He's Coming In Hot, a Brett Calhoun trainee who had speed and turned back the challenge, ended up winning in a wire-to-wire fashion. In the debutante, it was the horse that Calvin Burrell said he's sticking around to ride because he wants to ride this horse as a three-year-old. It's a two-year-old filly. Cosmic Evolution, trained by Hal Wiggins' son, Lou Wiggins, got the job done over Langstar's charmer. Uh, then uh, they closed out the firecracker, grade two. Uh, the winner in there was Departing, who just got through on the hedge. A beautiful ride by Miguel Menu, paid $10.40 to win. The Kelly's Landing went to outside runner Viva Majorca at 4-1, to one, a big rally for our friend Brian Hernandez, Jr. All right, that was a look at last week's action. We've got plenty of action coming up. But before we do that, we're going to go into the science lab and talk with Byron Rogers from Performance Genetics. You're listening to Winning Ponies. school to the pros we we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the triple crown breeders cup travers haskell or your daily races don't worry let winningponies.com make some money for you your internet flagship station for sports Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with a new guest uh, tonight, Byron Rogers, uh, I came across performancegenetics.com. You spell it just like uh, it sounds, and uh, an extremely interesting website and service. Uh, it basically uses the latest data and modeling DNA analysis, cardiovascular, biomechanical, and uh, exercise physiology tests uh, where uh, hopefully you can uh, select and find a champion thoroughbred. Uh, let me say he's got a very interesting uh, resume. Uh, as I spoke earlier, he's a native of Australia, but he worked at the top Arrowfield Stud 
with the amazing uh, sire Redoot's choice. If I'm saying that right, I'm sure he'll correct me. But he's also the co-creator of True Nick, something that a lot of people have become popular with uh, over the last few years. Um, he started that nicking service back in 2011. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to go too much more into detail about all, all the places he's been because I, I want to find out more about him. Byron Rogers, welcome to Winning Ponies. Good to be here, John. Now, Byron, I know that uh, down under, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a, a horse-happy place. Uh, um, did you grow up surrounded about, around horses, um, uh, just get the general interest? Did you grow up on a farm? Give us some background of who Byron Rogers is and how he got here. Well, I guess like a lot of people, that you know, basically came through my father. He raced a lot of horses, and, you know, I was one of those kids that loved going to the races with him, loved getting to the track and seeing the horses run and... Uh, um, yeah, so from a very early age, I was always at the racetrack and enjoying uh, uh, following the horses. That sort of grew into uh, me going to, uh, you know, I worked my way through school. We went through school and I went to uh, work for a bookmaker and work for racehorse trainers and various things like that before I, uh, you know, uh, after doing a degree in, in, uh, in computing science at the University of Technology, I came back and uh, started working for Arrowfield Stud, much to my parents' dismay after... Uh, Doing three years worth of study on uh, on computing science, I uh, decided I really loved the, the ponies and, uh, and went on to uh, work for Arrowfield and John Massara for ten years, which was uh, nothing short of brilliant. I mean, he's uh, he's a uh, he's a visionary as far as you know the shuttle system sending horses between uh, between the north and the southern hemisphere, and I learned an awful lot there. And uh, from there, I uh, I sort of got headhunted by Taylor Made Farmer in, in uh, Nicholsville, Kentucky. Uh, to uh, run their uh, run their stallion division for four years, which I did. Um, and during that time, while while I was doing that, I was I was always always interested in you know why what makes a good horse a good horse in, in terms of not just looking at it from the physicality of like looking at it in front of you, but sort of saying well what's what's inside the horse that makes it tick and what's what stops a horse from being a good horse? You know, as far as if you're talking about a horse when they're galloping, you know they have to respirate one breath at a time each time they take a stride. You know, is a long stride better than a short stride? And all those sorts of things started to uh, sort of interest me as I went along. Um, and so, as you sort of said, I, I started performance genetics, um, you know, in, in uh, 2011, and, uh, um, and uh, here we are today. Well, I, I must say it's a, it's a very interesting field, and you, you open a lot of areas for questions. Now, um, going up on, on your website, and again, performancegenetics.com, um, I, I've been doing as, as much reading uh, as, as I can, and uh, there's a lot to digest there. Uh, you, you have uh, top topics such as uh, exercise physiology, genetics, biomechanics, and then, and then how the program works. Um, you know, you just described, uh, I guess, you know, trying to find what is it that makes a, a horse, you know, a, a champion. What, what comes to mind to me is uh, when you talk about the physicality, um, I've been with John Henry. Uh, I've been with uh, Secretariat. I've been with Forgo. You couldn't find three different looking horses in the world. 
Um, so mm. how is it that you look at, at, at certain horses and say, this one, the way he's built is going to have a maximum stride? Because like John Henry, they call him a daisy clipper because he took so many strides, but he's still one of the greatest horses that ever worked. And then, of course, you've got uh, you know, Secretariat, who was just a, a monster on the track, and, and now American Pharaoh. Um, how do you figure out that difference in physicality uh, that even a smaller horse can become a great one versus a big one? Well, it's, there's, there's two ways to get from point A to point B you know, in, as a horse races. And you can have a horse that has, you know, a stride length of a horse will vary from about 20 feet to about 27 foot. Um, if you take American Pharaoh as, as, a, as a good example, he's, he's a, his actual average stride is actually longer than the Secretariat. Secretariat's average stride was measured at 24 and a half feet. Um, we've measured uh, American Pharaohs at 25 point seven, seven, uh, seven feet, I should say. So he's actually got a longer stride. So what that give, where that gives him an advantage if, if he's doing one stride and he's doing, you know, uh, uh, the, the horses that he's competing against don't have as long a stride, then they have to turn over. Now, the number of times you turn over, every time you're, every time you're taking a, a stride, the horse has to breathe. The more times that you have to breathe, the more chances for any slight inefficiencies. If the horse is just slightly inefficient in a certain way, um, he goes into oxygen depth faster um, because he's just not quite able to keep up with the American Pharaoh. And that's how a horse like him and a horse like Secretariat, who had a long, a long stride than normal, will beat the, the other horses because they can run consecutive 12-second furlongs where they just keep pounding out that, that long stride and they're very, very hard to beat. Um, the average horse will have a, a 22-foot stride so you've got sort of like somewhere between two, two and a half to three foot difference per stride that, that between the average horse and American Pharaoh just to start with. Um, so they're, they're the sort of things that sort of really start to, you know, um, knock out the differences between. That, that's a, a very good way of sort of saying, okay, it's, it, especially a two-year-old sales are saying, this is a high turnover horse um, and he's not got a very long stride. Therefore, he's not going to, this horse here is not going to last long in terms of, at the highest level, the, the horses with slightly longer strides are always just going just gonna to be able to beat them because they can cover the ground more effortlessly and they can do it at a, at a speed. They can do it at, you know, 37, 38 miles per hour and they're just always going to, you know, an American pharaoh is always going to be able to beat a horse with a slightly shorter stride. Well, I, I will tell people that, again, if you go to performancegenetics.com, we're talking with Byron Rogers. There is a great story that, that Byron wrote back on June 12th. It's called The Stride of a Champion. How does American Pharaoh compare to Secretariat? Because just several weeks ago, as you know, went viral, the video comparing Secretariat's Belmont to uh, American Pharaoh's. And uh, you do a great job in this story explaining how what you see isn't necessarily what you got. We know that surfaces were different back then. Perhaps uh, things that were the horses race on were different back then. And uh, it really is an interesting article, the, the stride of a champion, is, as far as how he compares to Secretariat. Now, to get to the, the, scien the scientific part, the, the, the DNA, uh -huh. I know that I had a very expensive DNA test taken on me and my family, and I... I trace back to Kenya, if you can believe it or not, and I'm three-quarters Irish and one-quarter German. Uh, now, the fact that I have DNA that brings me back to Kenya, I don't think I can win the Boston Marathon. Um, does no, no. DNA um, only good for a few generations? I, I, I did read one thing on your site that kind of said 
after a while, even if uh, Northern Dancer was your great, 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 great grandsire, doesn't necessarily mean that his blood's that dominant in you. Yeah, that's that's probably one of the hardest thing for most people to get a concept around. It's a, a term called recombination, which is, and to break that down into more layman terms, is basically you get a shuffle of the genetic variants from each parent at each generation. So one of the things we see, say, in really good stallions is that um, the really good sires tend to actually send, their their foals tend to have slightly more of their genome. It's supposed to be a 50-50 split, but that's an an average 50-50. And what we see with the really good sires is they actually dominate the genome a little bit more. Um, So what happens But after generations is every time that you're you know making a sire and a dam together to produce a foal you're shuffling the shuffling the deck again and you're sort of recombining the genes and it's possible the dam might you know uh, have more of an influence so dna we started doing uh looking at dna uh about four years ago uh the the, the horse genome you know the thoroughbred industry is actually very fortunate in the horse genome was actually one of the one of the first um, species to be to be sequenced after the human. Um, there was the fruit fly and the, and the rat and a few other things, but the horse genome was uh, one of the one of the first ones to be fully sequenced. Um, and they're still building that assembly of the of, of that genome. But what that gave us was a the ability then to look at on a genetic basis, say what is the difference between two groups of horses. It's the same reason why one horse is a chestnut and one horse is a bay is a change in the genetic code. And so if you can take two groups of, one group of really good horses, like, say, you know, Smarty Jones and Tisnow and all the really good race horses, and and another group of horses that are very slow, you can actually do what's called a genome-wide association study where you can actually work out what are the genetic changes that make the fast horses fast and the slow horses slow. Now, the problem with that is what we've since found is that DNA is not your destiny. Um, you can have the perfect, what we would call, genetic variants or variations within DNA to be a champion racehorse. But there's a thing called um, epigenetics, which is, is basically how does the environment interact with those DNA markers. Um, and that has as big effect on the result as the DNA itself. So... What we tend to find is horses can have these really good DNA markers. We think, oh, this is a really good horse. But it's not been expressed properly because the foal hasn't been raised properly. It's had some things that have compromised its growth. And that all sort of washes out and, and makes the what we think are really good DNA markers not as worth as um, worth what we thought they were. And the converse of that is that horses can have moderately good um, you know, uh, genetic markers. But if they're raised on a great farm... and, and you, I'm sure your listeners would have, you know, know of farms that consistently raise a good horse, and that comes from the fact that the the DNA that their foals get, they can express that to the maximum. So they basically get every opportunity. Um, so there's some confounding things there when looking just at DNA, which is why, sort of, in more recently, uh, which you sort of talked about at the beginning of the show, is that we've looked at a. You know, my background is in data. We looked at a data model that said, okay, let's take not just the DNA markers, but also the cardiovascular parameters. So we measure the cardio using a, an ultrasound. Um, and cardio measurements have been around for a long time. And you talk about American Pharaoh. Um, he's a horse that, you know, uh, Patty Miller, who's, who does cardio measurements, she measured him as a yearling and, and 
was very much uh, uh, the uh, wish and his desire to keep that horse on the basis of his cardio parameters. Um, we also use biomechanical parameters because what we talked about with efficiency of of, uh, of the way the horse goes is just as important. And we've put that all of those data points, and we get about a hundred, hundred and something, or hundred and twelve or something like that data points on each individual horse and all we do is do a, a data model and we literally crunch the data on what variables are important and what, what are not and how do, how do we appropriately weight each variable. Um, now, I've, I've only got a, a minute or two left. Uh, basically, uh, on performance genetics, I mean, how does one contact your company? Uh, how do they say um, you know, Byron, I'm going to this. I'm, I'm going to the sale. Uh, you know, how how can you help a person that's looking to hopefully get that champion racehorse? What is it, what is it actually that you would do for a buyer or a trainer? So we work obviously like we got clients like Donegal Racing. We bought, we helped them with their horses this year, and they had Keen Ice run third in the Belmont. We've got Divisadero running this weekend. We bought him as a yearling. In the, he's running in the Belmont Derby. Um, so what they basically, those clients in particular, they just come to me and say, hey, this is broadly what we're trying to trying to buy. The first thing you've got to really sort of work out is what sort of racehorse are you trying to buy? Um, are you trying to buy a distance horse? Are you trying to buy a sprinter and that sort of stuff? And then we tailor a, uh, a model to fit that um, question. So if they say, okay, I'm trying to buy the Kentucky Derby winner, which is awfully hard to do, um, we have got a model that sort of looks at weighting all those things and making sure... Where this, where what we do is really good is it, it, it's very good at eliminating horses. It's very good at saying it's not possible for this horse, based on the genetic and cardiovascular parameters, to get the derby distance. It's just the, the horse is not physically capable of doing it. So if they, if you go to my web, the website, all the details are there to get in contact with us. But um, I think you know if anyone is interested, it's mainly to do is steering you in the right direction and putting you in the, in, the, in the right direction with the possibility of getting a horse like, say, Keen Ice or, or uh, Divisadero, who is capable of running you know, 10 furlongs as a three-year-old, and, and if that's what you're wanting to do, or if you're just wanting to be, you know, do, be a, get a very good sprinter, we can, we can find those as well. Well, uh, Byron Rogers uh, from performancegenetics.com. I've got way too many questions uh, for you uh, that uh, could fit into this spot. I hope I can get, I hope I can get you back on because it sounds very, very interesting, and I hope our audience, again, performancegenetics.com, they can go there, and it really is an interesting website. And uh, Byron, I thank you so much for your time this evening on Winning Ponies. Cheers, John. Thank you. All right. Okay. Online now, we're going to the Big Apple, some outstanding racing at Belmont, and we couldn't have a better guy with us, Andy Serling. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, a gentleman we haven't had on in a while, but uh, anytime you go to a simulcast center, you're sure to see a smiling face, and that's Andy Serling. Uh, he was passed the torch from the legendary Harvey Pack, and uh, I knew little Andy, as sometimes he's called when he was still little Andy, up there at Saratoga, and uh he, he's, he's got it down in New York. You know, there's so many people that came out of Saratoga Springs or that general area that are now, you know, Eclipse Award winners. I think of uh, uh, Tom Law, who's back there now at the Saratoga Special. Uh, Barbara Livingston, who lived in Albany but started going up to Saratoga, and she's a multiple Eclipse Award winner. And, and now, uh, again, another uh, great person in the sport of thoroughbred racing, Andy Serling, is with us, who's... Uh, kind of been able to take his passion and turn it into his profession. Andy, thanks for being with us. Joel, oh, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Thanks for the kind words. Well, um, you know, when I think about being a kid and growing up near Saratoga, I was at Albany. My brother worked up there, and I would go up with him. He's a white cap in the clubhouse. And uh, the, just the memories I have of walking back to the jocks room w- w- with the jocks, uh, whether it be Johnny Rots, Eddie Belmonte, Manny Yakaza, Shoemaker, um, it was just such a fantastic uh, atmosphere to to grow up in. Um, what what are some of your finest mem- memories in your younger years from uh, being at the spa? Well, you know, it's interesting you bring it up, and, and I think it's a, it's a reasonable segue to just how a place like Saratoga is such an important place for the industry because it is the place where people like yourself or, or, or me got a chance to get up close and personal to a lot of personalities in racing. And I think it sort of um, reinforces how important it is for people like myself that work in the game to always be aware of that, especially anywhere, but especially in Saratoga. Um, that, you know, the kid who comes up and wants to talk to you, you know, he, he's the future of the game and how important it is to, um, to have time for these people. And, you know, and obviously I, I was very fortunate that I met a lot of people when I was very young, people like Andy Beyer and Harvey Pack and, and, and Pete Axfelm and, and, and Steve Christ and, 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 and many people in racing. Um, the first person that I really sort of, I mean, and there were people like Paul Mellos, who was a player who, Got a little bit of notoriety a little bit later, and Joe Cardello, who actually I think still works for Buyer Associates, um, but also racetrack people. And Ralph Thoreau Sr., who's passed away, his son Ralph uh, works with us at Naira, the terrific guy. But Ralph Thoreau Sr. was the first, and he was a great, I mean, anybody that knew him at all, he was a great racetracker, you know, one of a, a dying breed, um, a wonderful man. But, but the first real racetrack person that in any way took me under his wing in the sense that he was just a very kind guy and very nice to me. You know, he was an old timer around the track in some ways, even then, 
But, you know, I could call him from Saratoga and he'd tell me racetrack stories or, you know, he brought me in the box area for the race where, where Forgo beat on his pleasure, actually, in 76. And I still remember that. I mean, it's almost 40 years later. And he was somebody who had a very positive, profound effect on me. And I think of frequently and think of fondly, but I think it reiterates how important it is that, you know, we are all aware that in any small way that you can to sort of encourage people about the game you can make a lifetime fan uh, and somebody who, who can have an effect in the game in their life, but the game in general, through just sort of very simple kindnesses. Absolutely. You know, uh, I spoke out at the symposium in Arizona years ago, and uh, the emphasis was is that we, all of these people in this room, the professionals who maybe spend way too much time talking to each other, all have to each be an ambassador of the sport. I know uh, you may know the Hennigan brothers who produced the first sure. Saturday in May, and uh, they were here recently doing a documentary in Cincinnati on a jockey that flies under the radar, just became the 11th leading jockey in the world, uh, Perry Utes. But anyhow, they, they say how they remember that, and they embrace it, and they feel that that's so true that each one of us, even though we're in the game professionally now, we need to continue to be ambassadors of the sport and get those friends of ours that only watch watch the Triple Crown, to come out and see live racing, because I think that's where you really get it in your soul. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, fortunately, you know, so much in life is on computers now, and you can get people get involved, but to at least get them to experience, you know, days like a day at Saratoga, and, 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 and positive, and whether it's or Santa Anita, or Del Mar, or Keeneland, um, to appreciate it. And I think Belmont Park, which I think is, is one of the great racetracks um, you could possibly go to, but, you know, it, it, there's, there's so much talk on, on a very broad level, you know, and it's sort of big, large scale. I, I don't think that way. I, I really subscribe to the one person at a time. You know, I feel like if every day or two I can get through to somebody and help make them a better fan, and, and I'm probably being optimistic at that, or just encourage them to, to, to not just be negative about, you know, there's a lot of negativity from people associated with Naira. Certainly, there's always some that's fair, but a lot of it's very unfair. And you can sort of help make people better fans of the game. I think you can do it one person at a time. You're not going to change the world, but if you do it on a consistent basis over time, it's going to work to a certain extent. And I think we need to focus on that. Absolutely. Well, I, again, we're talking with, with Andy Serling from, from Naira. And, uh, Andy, I have to ask you, like, like I, it's kind of like the Kennedy assassination. Uh, where were you and what were the emotions when American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown? Well, you have to understand that I'm a bit of a cynical guy to begin with, um, unlike some of the other horse players. And I also was there when Affirmed won, and I was there when Seattle Slew won. So, Unlike a lot of people, I was there for Triple Crowners, and to me, it doesn't feel like 30-something years ago. It feels like yesterday, which I'm sure you can relate to. You know, we <laughs> usually watch the Belmont where our studio is, which is right on the third floor on the finish line, because it's just a good area. Unfortunately, NBC started using the deck right next to it, so we can't stand in all the spots because we'll be in their, their sight lines. But, you know, it's a night, really great place to watch it because you're right there on top of things, and, and, and so you get a great view. And I'll be honest that I was more sort of in awe of the reception, yes. you know, the, the way the fans, the, the, the excitement, than anything else. I mean, obviously, he's a very talented horse, but I was just amazed by how excited, I mean, the excitement, it was just incredible. And to this day, I mean, you know, Jason Blue and I are up there, and you, know, you sort of look around, obviously, it's much quieter. 
on days, but you sort of imagine what it was like, and it was an unreal experience seeing that much, that sort of pandemonium um, in a very, very positive way. You know, we all love racing, and we all have our moments, you know, where you hit a big bet or something where you, you feel that sense of excitement, but to see that unmasked, it was pretty incredible, and, and to think that it's, you know, they're still talking about American Pharaoh, and people even outside of um, racing are still asking me, you know, about him and what's going on with him. You know, we, you know, in this world, if something lasts for more than an hour, it's kind of amazing. And American <laughs> Pharaoh's success seems to be uh, really holding up, and that's pretty great. You know, it's, it's pretty good for the game, you know, and, and, and it's nice to hear Ahmed Zayed's comments today that they really, you know, as long as they feel he's up to it, that they plan to keep racing him and, you know, talking, obviously going to Haskell, no surprise, and, and very much leaving the door open for a run in Saratoga the Traverse. It's really exciting because people are, are pretty psyched about this horse, and that's cool. That's a good thing, you know. Uh, I think it's fantastic, and I had the same experience here. I mean, the the, the windows in the press box were literally shaking uh, where I saw it. We had it out on the big screen TV, and, I, and the great thing was I looked out there, and I'd say the average age was about 37 years old or something like that. You know, people who, well, it was 37 years since the firm, <laughs> that had no idea that there was another Triple Crown winner back then. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was just, it was a real pump up to to know that the general public was, was into it as much as they were. Well, um, I wanted to break down, I'm so lucky to have Andy Serling with us, uh, some races from Belmont Park. Luckily, he gets to see these races all the time. We'll try to knock one out before we have to go to a, a quick break. And, Andy, um, kind of neat that uh, we're going to see several graded stakes races at a mile and a quarter that uh, you don't normally see here at Belmont, um, 8th, 9th, 10th, that you don't see anywhere across the country. And we'll, ju- we'll just start with the, with the Belmont Derby. It's an invitational, which is a little bit rare in this day and age, uh, for horses from the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere. And uh, for looking at this, it, it looks like that the uh, – the Euros may have a slight edge. That's just one man's opinion. But uh, boy, when you get really? to drop ten pounds and, and, and run against <laughs> run against three year olds, uh, a postulation that looks awful tough. And as you know, uh, Dermot Weld brings quite a reputation to New York. Yeah, um, I'm going to disagree. I, I, I think you know that the this is an unusual year for three year old turf horses. Um, I think horses like Takeover Target and Molo and Divisadero and even Startup Nation are a little bit better than the average bear. I'm not saying this is a Kitten's Joy, Artie Schiller, Shakespeare-like year, but I think these are some very good horses, and I respect Condal coming over from Europe, and I don't know anything about postulation other than to say he's been facing cheaper horses. Um, and though Dermot Weld got a lot of success and obviously won the bow and go and go, he's not had a lot of recent success when this horse is shipped over. I'm going to be surprised if the Euros are able to handle these American horses. I, I think these horses are pretty good. Well, of these horses that are pretty good, uh, who, who does Andy Serling like? I mean, uh, you, you, you mentioned the word Kitten's Joy, uh, the, the key race, uh, the, the top three finishers out of the, the Pennine Ridge, if I'm saying that correctly, are Pennine there. Ridge, you got right. to watch that race. Um, who was the, the most impressive uh, that, came, uh, that came out of there? Uh, Diversadero was the winner, a, a son of Kitten's Joy, who absolutely a mile and a quarter on the grass should not be beyond this horse's ability. No, no, he was he was very impressive. He, you know, it was it was a slow pace. 
and the rider moved him very early, and he was wide, and he never stopped running. He's a relentless force, and he showed that unlike the race before at Churchill, where he had this explosive kick to get it done and beat a very good horse in a lot, who had an impressive win in a subsequent start at Belmont, he could grind it out and still get it done. This is a very good horse. But keep in mind that Takeover Target was making just his third lifetime start, so that was the fourth for Desidero, but I think he was giving up some experience and Startup Nation was making just his first start since a, a, a rough trip in the Breeders' Cup. So I think both those horses for Chad Brown could easily improve, and they could beat the Visadero. And I think that the rider um, is a bit of a concern with the Visadero. I don't want to be overly critical, but he's a young, inexperienced rider. And while he's had success, you know, I think he will see how he does, you know, in a tougher race like this. But Bolo's a very scary horse. I mean, they tried him in the Derby. But this horse has been brilliant in his turf races, and he's also the control and speed in here. And I don't know how you know stamina is going to be until he gets there and tries to get the mile and a quarter. But he's a good horse. I, I think we're in for a heck of a horse race, and, and I really won't be surprised if any of Takeover Target or Bolo or to visit Darrow or Condal or, or Startup Nation win. I pick Takeover Target on top. I think he takes a step forward. And I'm hoping he gets it done. I think he sits a good trip behind Bolo, but. This is a wide-open race and a really fun race. Absolutely. Again, a mile and a quarter on the turf. Uh, we don't know if any of these horses uh, outside of the European ones will be, will be asked to do that again in their career. But like you said, yeah, some very, very promising uh, up-and-comers. Uh, I think uh, Billy Mott's horse, uh, uh, closing bell, they're just asking a lot of him off two starts. But the ones you pointed out, I couldn't argue with you. I can make a point for every one of them. Um, I think we're just going to move forward right here and, and go to the legendary race of the 129th running of, of the Suburban. I would have liked to see more horses drawn into this race. It, it seems like uh, most of the eyes are, are, are pointing towards towards Tonalist. Uh, Christopher Clement has just done a fantastic job with this horse. Um, has come back with two starts. A little bit surprised to see the blinkers coming off after the second-place finish to Honor Code, which certainly uh, is no disgrace as good as Honor Code's been going this year. No. And in fact, I think, and I recommend to people, and obviously he's a big favorite, and I don't think anybody's you know, just dismissing him and playing way against him. If you're playing, we have a guaranteed late pick for half a million-dollar guarantee. But his Met Mile is a lot better than it looks. You know, I, I, in my opinion... Um, when he, he broke a little slowly and the door got shut on him, and that wasn't that big a deal because you knew they were moving up front. I thought John Velasquez made a tactical error and kind of asked him to get into the race on the backstretch, and there was no reason for it. And as you know, Honor Code, who obviously has a brilliant burst, and I'm not saying he would have beaten Honor Code, but Honor Code came from dead last in that race, and I think there was no reason to be impatient. You knew they were going to be moving. You know he's a horse that can come with a big kick. And I think he used him a little too much early for a position he didn't need. And he ended up being the widest uncovered horse of all. And I think his effort was superb. He's a true mile-and-a-quarter horse. Obviously, won the Belmont a mile-and-a-half. He won the Jock Club Gold Cup a mile-and-a-quarter. And I know Coach Inge is the main speed and the controlling speed. I just think he's a much better horse than Coach Inge. And honestly, if I was trying to beat Tonalist, it would be with the five FNX who two, two starts ago beat Wicked Strong when he won the mile and a quarter at Celsius at Aqueduct. And obviously something went badly wrong when he bolted the Brooklyn last time. Picks up Junior Alvarado, who in my opinion is riding as well as any rider in the country over the last three, four months. 
And I'm not saying he's going to beat Tonalist, but he'll be my backup in the pick four because I think if Tonalist loses, it'll be that and that's and not Coach Inch. Um, how interesting did you find the switch of trainers from uh, Tom Amos to Todd Pletcher uh, with with the very talented uh, My Loot, who uh, jumped up and had a huge optional claiming race coming into this one? You know, I wouldn't want to be any trainer taking horses from Tom Amos because he does such a remarkable job and wins at such a high percentage that invariably he's a tough guy to keep up with. If you look at the numbers of horses that are claimed from Tom, they're terrible. Um, having said that, obviously, Todd, who's having this incredible meeting, this horse is running really well, obviously got my move forward to one of his better races. But I think it's important to point out that there was an extremely fast pace in that race. And the second place finisher, Lucky Lotto, if you watch it again, arguably ran as well as my loot did. And Lucky Lotto is, while improved, sort of a Reform 10 claimer. So am I going to be shocked when Milo runs another big race? No, but he's going to do it at my expense. It'll be very interesting. And I just wonder if he has another forward move in him. You know, he's a five-year-old that obviously has some talent, but he's got a lot of issues. And I just I have trouble believing, with all due respect to Todd Fletcher, who obviously doesn't matter what I think, the guy wins the Eclipse almost every year and does a remarkable job. <laughs> Tom Amos is a tough guy to improve horses from over time. Well, thank you for answering that. Now, um, another interesting mile-and-a-quarter race. It's in Oaks, uh, so it's going to be for three-year-old fillies. And looks like nobody's ducking anybody here. We're going to have a very rare in this day and age 14-horse field. Uh, now I'm going to call on you to, to give an analysis of uh, the wonder again at Belmont because we've got four horses in here coming out of that. And then a lot of horses were on the plane ride coming in from uh, Santa Anita's American Oaks. And once again, uh, you've got uh, a top European trainer, uh, Aiden O'Brien, coming in with uh, Outstanding, who's already won at a mile and a quarter, which a lot of these horses have not been asked to do yet their career. Well, you know, in my opinion, if, if American Pharaoh wasn't, and deservedly so, capturing everybody's attention as this, you know, remarkable three-year-old, there would be a lot more talk about a horse in this race named Lady Eli, because yes. she is the best three-year-old turf horse in the country, um, male or female. She's an unusual talent. She's, 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 I mean, put it this way. She so easily handled Miss Temple City at Keeneland two starts ago that Graham Motion shipped her over to England to run at Royal Ascot, where she ran a very good fourth, narrowly beaten in their big three-year-old Philly race. Um, he shipped her over there. One of the main reasons was to stay away from Lady Eli. You know, <laughs> I remember being at Keeneland that day and, and speaking to Graham and him saying to me, you know, I love my horse. And, and, and she, just, she just drowned her. Um, Lady Eli, she's five for five, and in her last race in the Wonder again, I mean, she had a target on her back, and the entire field was trying to keep her locked in. And as you can see, they were going at glacial pace, and yet she still was able to win the race, closing it in 33 and change the last three eights. I mean, she was, she was amazing, given some daylight, and that was a very, very impressive win. She has the tactical speed to put herself into position with her inside post, she shouldn't have trouble getting position. I mean, Lady Zuzu is a fast speed. There'll be much more pace in this race, but she's tactical. Now, 
It's only acting dad actually ran okay in there, but she saved all the ground. I think the long shot out of that race you might want to take a look at to at least get in your try or super is Miss Chatelaine, who was coming off a long layoff and was wide every step of the way in there, three, four wide, and still ran a credible race, beating a few lengths. Not a bad start for a first race off the layoff. So, you know, while I think Lady Eli is going to be a very tough mountain to climb, I think Miss Chatelaine is a long shot to look at. Now, touching on the American Oaks you brought up, Listen, I respect Spanish Queen. I think it's tough to ship across country and, and win these races. And honestly, I think Consumer Credit arguably ran as well, if not better in there, and probably could have won the race with a different ride. And she picks up Junior. So if I was going to take anybody in that, out of that race, I'd take Consumer Credit. Um, I respect Centurio Italian, the 11, for Kieran McLaughlin, who had an impressive win in an allowance race last time. She easily handled a Chad Brown horse named Kitten's Roar, who had a very good trip that day and came back with a big win in her next start. So I think Centurio Italia is a horse who's an up-and-comer. I think another Chad Brown horse near strict compliance on the outside could maybe get a piece. I thought she was pretty good in winning at Penn National. I think Gilmot's Darren Duchess is a horse that could have some improvement in her, but they're facing an unusually talented horse in Lady Eli. And listen, she's got to get a mile and a quarter, as you pointed out, and that's always a question mark until they do it. But she's she's good. And, and you know, if you talk to Chad Brown about her, he talks about her as if she's maybe one of the best uh, fillier mares he's ever been around. And this, you know, as far as training on his own, and this is a guy who won the Breeders' Cup with Zagora a couple of years ago. He's been around some good ones, and she is an outstanding talent. Yeah, and it looks like, you know, she certainly has a, a great running style and is more than happy to kind of relax in the early going. And when uh, Ortiz presses the button, uh, she responds very well. Yeah, she does. And she's not a plotter, you know, so she doesn't need to be way back. And I think last time they were a little under aggressive with her. And, you know, you've you got to get that position going forward. And the mile and an eighth races at Belmont Park on the turf are very tricky races because they hit the turn so quickly that the paces slow down an inordinate amount. And unless you're moving forward and getting that position, you can get caught and shuffled out behind a very slow pace. And that's exactly what happened to Lady Eli. And when you're a horse like Lady Eli in a field that bunches, everybody's looking at you. And they're, you know, you've got that target on your back. So I think, you know, if you're a rider, you wish to ride three to five shots every time. But there's always... You know, that concern when you're, when everybody's looking at you, you know, they're going to look to get you in trouble. And I think that's Rod Ortiz's job. I mean, his job is to not get her beat. And, and that sometimes can be tougher than it sounds. Well, uh, Andy, uh, my producer's telling me I've only got about two minutes left, and I don't want to throw you a curve, but it sounds to me like you're well prepared for everything on Saturday's card. Um, the grade three Dwyer at a mile. Um, very interesting that we're going to finally get a look at our Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner, Texas Red. What's your read on that? No, that's a really fun race. You know, that's the seventh race on the card. And, 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 and I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for Texas Red. I don't think he's necessarily as good as that Breeders' Cup look because he got that fast pace. But by the same token, he's not as bad as his third-place finish in the front runner to American Pharoah looks because he got no pace to close him to an American Pharoah everything his own way. And, you know, one thing that we're learning is not only is American Pharaoh a good horse, but I think one of the real measures of his talent is we're seeing time and time again horses that he's left in his wake are coming back with big wins. And so the fact that he's in a competitive horse with American Pharaoh, uh, you can't really pay a, high, a higher compliment to a horse. And he's going to get pace to run into. So it's exciting to see him back. But, 
you know, he's a horse that hasn't run in five months. Running against horses like Blofeld and Tommy Macho had a huge win on Belmont weekend and Spitzer, who did the same. These are talented three-year-olds, and it'll be very interesting to watch this three-year-old crop develop without American Pharaoh, you know, in the races he doesn't run in, because there there are some, some darn good ones out there. And but they've been saying it's deep all along. Come back. You know, and uh, I, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us tonight on Winning Ponies. I want to encourage everybody to get to their simulcast center early so they can tune in and, and watch you and whoever your co-host is that day give out their selections because, in my opinion, you're one of the best cappers in the country, Andy. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your asking me to come on. And You know, anytime. Always got time for you, John. I got your phone number now. I'll be calling you back. That's Andy Serling from Naira. I want to thank Byron Rogers from PerformanceGenetics.com, and I want to thank all of you for listening. Remember, when you go to the racetrack, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network.